Our guest today is Jim Hauser. He's the co-owner and founder of Hawthorne Auto Clinic in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and uh, he has been in business. He's celebrating your 30th year in business, correct? Yes. So uh, congratulations. January 1983. Wow. And so uh, you probably have a, uh, you know, I know that you have a lot of uh, interesting information to share with folks who are just starting out in business or even if they're struggling in, in a new, newer business uh, for the first time with all that experience. Yes. So um, I guess let's, let's, start, let's talk about starting with where you are right now. How, how, how large is your business, employees? Well, currently we have 10 full-time employees, including my wife and I. And then we have one part-time fellow. He's, um, you know, he's a helper, uh, clean up in a rehabilitation program. Um, normally, we have 11 full-time. One of our long-time employees just retired just uh, a week ago Friday, um, just turned 62. We're having a party for him on Sunday. And so we're uh, about to look to expand a little bit. Um, but he worked here for about... 13 years. Wow. Yeah. The, the average tenure of our full-time staff, uh, not counting, a, we, we just did an expansion, two new uh, full-time hires, but not counting the two new ones, the average tenure here is 20 years. Wow. That is, that's, uh, that's quite a bit. I thought I was uh, doing good with 14, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I shouldn't say that's average. That's actually my longest. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you have, and you have one clinic? Yes, we just have one location, um, the same location. Actually, my wife worked at this uh, location for the previous owner as his import technician um, starting in 1980, and he was overwhelmed by the automotive technology of 1982 and sold us the business at that time. Um, and so that's, that's how we managed to be in this location. Um, which is the neighborhood's improved immensely. It's really not really lucky for us. Very nice. Oh, okay, so when you first started, it was kind of uh, in a transitional neighborhood, as they say. Yeah, and the building had lots of problems, and the neighborhood had lots of problems, and uh, things have turned around quite a bit. So, when we talk about starting out, it, it sounds like you started out by buying an existing business. Yes. Yes, we did. And what, what, what do you think were the advantages of that? Because it's something we don't cover a lot. A lot of people think about starting something completely new. So, Right. Well, previously we had been in a startup that we lost our lease and Liz and I went to work for other people. Um, and I'll tell you about that story because I, it's important to our, our backstory. Okay. But the... Um, it was really valuable because Liz knew the customers. My, my wife, Liz, knew every, all the customers. They, uh, it was an established location. Um, actually, it has been auto repair since, uh, independent auto repair since the, the 20s, I believe, something like that, long, long time in this one location. Wow. And um, so that was a real advantage. It had had other names. It wasn't Hawthorne Auto Clinic. At each iteration, it had been named after the person who was running it. So it had been Gussie's Auto Clinic and Gainer's Auto Clinic and things like that. So what made you decide to buy, the, buy this business or be in business? For, it sounds like you were in business before. What, you know, where did this entrepreneurial uh, thing come in for you, the, the entrepreneurial spirit? Well, here's our, here's our story because I, I, I think it's a little unique. Back in uh, the mid-70s, back in the era when there were grocery co-ops and, uh, uh, you know, little grocery stores and, and restaurant co-ops and daycare co-ops, some friends of ours had started a mechanics cooperative, uh, an, an auto repair shop called Mom's Garage, a bunch, started by a bunch of mechanics. They shared the work. They shared the resources. They were terrible business people. Um, and uh, they got off to a rocky start. My wife and I worked in, at that time in different industries. Um, even though I had an automotive background and Liz's father had, was an engineer and had a small manufacturing company in Pittsburgh, 
we hadn't been. I I fixed cars in the evening for fun for for friends uh, out of my own garage, but I hadn't thought of it as a career. Um, but we decided, Liz and I decided, we wanted to do something together. We wanted to find something that we could both do um, together, and we were invited to join this mechanics cooperative. Uh, they were losing staff. They needed some help. And um, we thought that would be something fun and challenging. And um, actually, Liz signed up for the community college's uh, auto tech program, even though she already had a bachelor's degree. Uh, it was a two-year uh, uh, program, mostly focused on mechanic. But the thing, and so we went to work there. So now she, her background was not in auto mechanics. No, she actually uh, worked in integrated circuit manufacturing at Tektronix, which is an electronics company here, in a manufacturing, well, in a laboratory setting, creating integrated circuits. Okay, so she was already a technician. But not an auto technician. Okay, and your um, background was uh, that you were... And, and my background, actually, even though I was raised in the automotive industry, my father and grandfather did not get along, so I never actually was able to work at their business, okay. but I, we lived on a farm, I fixed farm machinery, then we moved into town, and I just grew up fixing cars, but actually I had worked, I was working for the Portland Park Bureau at the time, um, uh, doing maintenance and repair on, uh, in the uh, Portland City Parks. Oh, okay. When uh, when this opportunity arose, okay. something we could do together, and something that I had some skill and background in, and in large measure, it was working cooperatively with other people with a like-mindedness, uh, you know, in a collegial setting, um, because it seemed like it was appropriate for that time period. So you were drawn to the business model of the co-op, as well yeah, as the auto industry, right? Uh, the thing that, that added an interesting aspect to it that that I think carried forward was the uh, we, we mom's garage was set up in a very large building that had been it was owned by the state of Oregon it had been a um, motor pool building for state vehicles and we shared that building with a, a uh, another co-op a startup called um, Sunflower Recycling, which was the very first curbside recycling business in the country. Wow. They actually set up routes all around town uh, and had customers who separated their recycling, put it at the curb, and they went around and picked it up. They had created a bunch of vehicles with individual compartments for doing that, and we maintained their vehicles while they critiqued our environmental practices, oh. which you can imagine in 1976 were not very refined in terms of, you know, how you handled oils and fluids and chemicals and old car parts and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think in 1976, everybody was just pouring it down the drain. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, right. Well, when, when on the farm that we were raised on, the they had a truck that would come out to the farm from my grandfather's car dealership and oil the roads oh, to wow. keep the dust down. And we had a creek that, that went right through the farm, but you know, probably the first rain, it all ended up in the creek. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> not good. Yeah, people didn't uh, think about it then. Nope. But these folks did. I mean, mm -hmm. they were poor as church mice, but totally dedicated, very creative, um, and... And so we we uh, adapted a lot of their thinking. We incorporated their consciousness, their thinking into how we did business. Um, that mom's garage only lasted a couple of years. Um, we lost the lease on the place. Um, the state was selling it. They didn't want to continue. And so, but Liz and I had developed uh, both some skills and uh, a uh, customer base, we ended up actually having to go to work for other people. Um, okay. We couldn't find a location to start up. We didn't have any money. We didn't have the resources. We didn't have the background. Um, I went to work for a, uh, a guy who worked only on imports, 
and that was turned out to be a good move because at that time there weren't a lot of shops working on imports in, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and Liz went to work for the guy that owned this this business or th at this location. And in uh, and then, like I said, in actually Christmas of 1982, he uh, asked us to come over and asked if we wanted to buy the business. Okay. And he would take a modest down payment, and he would carry the contract. And the landlord, who had owned the repair business here before him, uh, was willing to give us a lease option on the building. And uh, I mean, it really was great. And we had intended to uh, try and start our own business. Uh, in any event, one was we wanted to start a family. We wanted the freedom that having your own business would give you for, you know, spending time with your kids and going to their events. Um, and we also were committed to trying out and putting into practice both the environmental and the kind of social aspects, the uh, how you work cooperatively with other people. To, to put all that into practice as we expanded our business, um, kind of develop our, our um, values, our, our principles, um, in an experimental fashion, see what worked, what didn't work, how could we expand. And, um, and so that's that we started off slowly. We had uh, some uh, money from Liz's parents that, that they lent us, both for the down payment and also for uh, a reserve. Right. Because Liz is very frugal and her father emphasized you got to have um, money in reserve, uh, a month, at least a month to two months worth. Because you never know what might happen, and uh, he was he was very frugal individual, um, and so we grew very slowly. Uh, first, there were just the two of us, and then um, we uh, had a friend who had bookkeeping experience and front office experience. So it was probably four or five months before we hired someone to sort of answer the phones and manage that part of the business while we stayed busy in the shop. And then after about nine months, we hired our first employee, someone who actually had been in the, uh, a young woman that had been in the training program at Portland Community College in the automotive program, who uh, was working at a gas station and not getting the opportunities. And so we, we slowly uh, grew from there. Um, and and while while you were growing and you were small, were you using outside services for bookkeeping and those kinds of things? Or well, actually, we were pretty lucky. We did have an accountant who had had been the accountant for the previous owner of the business, who was like two blocks away, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and he was very helpful in coaching our first hire, who had worked in a, I think a, like a community theater group or something as the bookkeeper. I see. So she was able to to maintain the books for us with uh, coaching from our accountant. And it, so it worked out pretty well that she had the time to do the bookkeeping and, and to answer the phones and schedule customers and do some things like that. Okay, um, but it's we, worthy to note that you guys were doing the tech, the repair work and you hired somebody to handle the front office. Yes. Okay. And, and that is not a model in small business, in, in independent auto repair that often uh, the, the owners like to like to keep that for themselves, and it actually we did. Our fourth hire or so was a what's called a service advisor, someone to actually uh, give estimates and and be the greeter, and um, we were lucky in that it was a friend of ours who was in um, uh, veterinary school who had the summer off, but who uh, had been an auto mechanic new automobiles and he was looking for summer work so it was an opportunity for us to see how comfortable we would be having somebody take over the customer contact while we stayed in the shop just how it would work out and it actually worked out really well so uh, at, when he went back to school we hired uh, someone to be a service advisor so i do sense a, pa a pattern though of hire it so sounds like everybody that you hired so far in this story was a friend or somebody that you knew? 
yeah, we were very, very fortunate that way um, because that's a big, a big gamble. It, at that time and even to today, there are some auto repair shops have standing uh, uh, ads in now it's of course Craigslist, but and then it was in the newspaper uh, for technicians, for mechanics. Big turnover. Uh, people you know, don't get along. They don't have the skills you want. The uh, shop owners don't want to pay for training because they are afraid that they're going to train somebody, spend that money, and then they're going to go someplace else. Um, but if they don't have trained people, then people make mistakes, and so they fire them. And yeah, but but that's we've we've I think addressed that in our model. But um, that that's a, a kind of standard operating procedure. I see. Yeah, from what I understand about you, there's reasons why you don't have that kind of turnover. Yes, yeah. So uh, as we grew, uh, we decided pretty uh, consciously that we were going to look for people with who had the long vision uh, for and, and were a stable, stable type of person, family person, not necessarily, but somebody who was looking to build a career in one location. So because we wanted to focus on education. It's a high-skilled field, more and more so. Hybrids, Priuses, all of that takes a lot of training. Right. It's, um, it, it, and the training is expensive. Um, and we wanted people who, who kind of um, were willing to ex accept our values, who understood our values, and... Um, and so we focused a lot on uh, the benefits, health care, child care, uh, uh, vacation time, uh, paid sick days, uh, employee assistance plans, things like that. Training, as you mentioned. It, training, we pay for training, we pay for the classes, we pay their wages when they're in class, that sort of thing. Um, that attracts a certain type of person over the person who wants the the rather have the cash, big cash. I want to, you know, fix a lot of cars really fast. Um, and while I keep one eye on the shop down the street and whether I might jump down there, if they're going to offer me a little bit more, something like that. Um, there are also, of course, tax advantages to, uh, I guess you could say front loading to providing benefits over the big wages because you're, uh, those are pre-tax dollars. Okay. And so for someone that, uh, I mean, for me to give someone the wages and then they go pay for health insurance, they're going to they're gonna pay more. They're going to pay taxes on that cash and then buy the insurance. Right. Much, much better for us, much better for them. If they can get it, they, if they're, in a, if they're in a, uh, not in a group plan, sometimes they can't get the health insurance. That's true. That's totally or true. Or at least till, till recently. Yes, until January 1st. <laughs> right. Um, and so, but, and so we built on that model. Um, we, one of the things we did starting in uh, the mid nineties, uh, we partnered with one of the community colleges that had uh, a particularly good internship program where um, we, they, they assemble a group of potential interns who want to join their program. It was for Chrysler dealers, Honda dealers, Volkswagen, Subaru, BMW, and then independents. Okay. And the students would all gather there in the, typically in the spring, the uh, service managers or auto shop owners would come and interview. People would choose and we'd make our choices. But we basically hired the intern to your program. There are interns. They go to school for three months, then they come to work for three months, and hopefully are working on what they learned at school. They go back to school for three months. At the end of two years, they have an associate's degree. They have two years of experience. They've looked at us, we've looked at them, and if we have an opening, um, then we have a match. And from about 1995, 96, that's how we've done all our full-time hiring, okay. is through the program. So, and so we have people here in their 30s who started as seniors in high school uh, 
and uh, one that started as a technician. Then she um, uh, moved to the office. She'd also had retail experience in high school. Um, she we uh, reimbursed her for a bachelor's degree in business administration. She when our um, our first hire retired two years ago um, after working here 28 years. Wow. Um, she, um, uh, Tarika, our new, our, our youngster, who's now 30, um, also took on the bookkeeping uh, challenge or tasks because it's so much easier now with with computers and and when you only have 10 employees, there's not a there's not near as much to do and so Terika is a service advisor part-time and also takes care of bookkeeping and uh, keeps uh, close tabs or close contact with our accountant for any uh, any extra things that we need to know about so one of the questions I have is uh, you know internships have been sort of coming under fire just recently and when you were doing this was this are these paid interns or that was a was it just for the educational purpose? They're absolutely paid interns. During the time that they're here at the shop, as a matter of fact, the program is set up um, that it requires the uh, uh, the shops, the dealerships, to pay the students when they're at the shop. Oh. And every six, okay. every six months, if they maintain a C average, they get a 50 cent an hour pay raise. Wow. So, so it's an incentive. It's it's an incentive to keep the grades up, and um, and yeah, it's a and it's not minimum wage. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's not a lot. Yeah, not a master mechanic salary, but a couple dollars more than minimum wage, and Oregon's minimum wage is higher than a lot, and um, but it keeps students focused, and it also uh, keeps them aware that they're professionals. Right. That, that, and and that's something that we want to emphasize. Um, and so that's that's been our hiring and and our retention is through is through that program. Uh, from the environmental side, um, we put a lot into practice. When when we moved in here, there were three people working here: uh, Dennis, the previous owner, my wife. And Dennis had a buddy who rented space and had kind of had his own business. They had a two-yard dumpster that was picked up every week, um, full of everything. We, with our 12 people, we have a quarter-yard dumpster that's picked up every other week, and and frequently we make it available to our employees if they've got something from home they need to throw in there because rarely is it full. Wow. I mean, we've managed we've managed to find ways to either eliminate or to separate and pre uh, prepare for recycling. Plus, we have a whole other range of uh, of environmental initiatives that we've put into place. Plus, we help create a uh, third party certification uh, environmental certification program for repair shops in Oregon to meet uh, that meet higher environmental standards. It's called EcoBiz, ecobiz.org. Um, that's administered by um, environmental regulatory uh, agencies um, so that it's uh, so that it's not just greenwashing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, and how long have you been, well, you, you've been uh, at the, sort of at the forefront of this since you started. Yeah, there there were actually four shops, two collision, two body shops, and two mechanical shops that got together with a group of uh, regulatory agencies, local, uh, regional regulatory agencies, also in about the mid-90s, 96, 97, and set up this, um, this program. The other three shops have since closed. They're all my age. <laughs> they but uh, but I've continued and it's continued to grow there are now 125 130 shops that uh, have met the higher standards and then many other shops who have met most of the standards and are working on it and even the dealerships now have recognized the uh, importance and are starting to uh, become certified in that program 
Okay. So I, that's valuable. Yeah. Um, let's talk about growing your business. Now, you were saying that you grew slowly. <clears throat> was there a time when you had some rapid growth, and was there anything that fueled that, or, or has it been just a steady grow, grow throughout? It's been steady, but there have been things that we've done that I think made a difference. And one of those was about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, uh, Honda and Toyota came out with hybrid cars. And um, we thought that one fit with our training model that, that we uh, focus on uh, high tech, late model, um, we consider kind of the dealerships to be our main competition. Okay. So we uh, we signed up for uh, training, all the training we could get on those, and decided we were going to focus on hybrids. Um, as it should turn out, it was a good move because lots and lots of independent repair shops don't want to have anything to do with the Prius and the hybrids. They, uh, they're they a little bit afraid of them. They're... Uh, they know they're going to have to spend money on some tooling, some equipment, some uh, training. Right. They're afraid that they're going to break something that's going to be very expensive. <laughs> and um, so it, it actually turned out pretty good because there are only a few shops, other shops in the Portland area, that will even work on them. They don't require a lot. They don't break a lot. But they have maintenance requirements like any other car. Right. Um, plus, I think for many people, even if they don't own a hybrid, they believe that those cars are complex, sophisticated, and they believe that if we're capable of working on a Prius, we can certainly work on their Camry or their uh, Outback uh, <laughs> and be able to take care of it. So I, I think it served kind of a dual purpose of opening a new market for us plus uh, giving us a certain view in, in people's minds. Right. Well, and I imagine it works really well for the clients who have the Priuses uh, and the hybrids, that they're the, they're the same kind of client that would really respond well to, to your uh, cons environmental concerns as well. So it all ties in really with who you are as a business. Yes. Yes. You know, and so it's going to resonate with a certain and type of customer. Right. So that was certainly one of the things that we did that uh, that jumped up. And then we got involved in um, uh, electric vehicles. It was sort of a natural because the hybrids are, in many ways, an electric vehicle with a gas engine, especially Toyota designs them that way. I see. We learned a lot about those. And so as electric vehicles be became out coming out, especially the uh, Nissan Leaf in 2010, uh, I started going to local meetings uh, about electrification, and in uh, a year and a half ago, a company called Think, uh, a Norwegian company that has a subsidiary in this country, wanted to import 125, uh, it's called a Think City EV, into to Oregon, and uh, they went to our electric utility for a recommendation on who they might know that could do uh, the warranty work on these uh, 125 cars and PGE is the uh, Portland General Electric referred them to us oh. and so we, we now have we're now the warranty service center for the Pacific Northwest for think electric vehicles and um, and so that's been again it's not it's not a uh, a big it's ten thousand dollars a month something like that yeah but, but it's giving us a lot of training experience. We'll be ready when the LEAF and the Tesla and the rest of those come off of warranty. Um, we'll be ready to take care of those cars as well. Um, so just these, these things that we watch for that, that just come up. Right. Yeah, more, and, you know, there's only, that's all, that segment of the market is only going to grow. Yes. Yeah, I think so. So the way we found you <clears throat> originally, because uh, we're in California, and we, we uh, came upon you because you were speaking to the, uh, to the Congress at a congressional, congressional hearing, I believe, a briefing uh, about Obamacare yes. in support of Obamacare. Right. And uh, so 
it seems to me, you know, it's a, it's a fairly bold move to really jump into national politi politics, especially as, as divisive as it is right now. Um, you know, ex explain why you, why you jumped in like that or were you worried about business or did you think it would be good or how did, how, how, was, how did you conceive of the getting involved politically uh, in relation to your business? That's a good question because it did take some thinking, but what had happened for us, um, from the beginning we provided uh, full health care coverage for our employees and their families. It seemed like a reasonable thing it, in the same way that you don't want your best customers to even think about going anywhere else, and the same is true with your staff, and that is something that everybody needs, especially with our family orientation. Um, so, but between like 2000, 2001 and 2008 or 9, our premiums had more than doubled. We were, for, for nine people, eight people, we were paying $100,000 a year in health insurance premiums. 20% of payroll, totally unsustainable. Um, and at, at that same time, during the 08 presidential campaign, when both candidates were talking about health care, uh, a small business organization called Main Street Alliance was going door to door in our business district trying to sign people up to their program uh, for health care reform. They had a, uh, four principles. And so I agreed to sign up, and I also wrote a letter to health and, well, I, I signed up for the organization after President Obama was elected and then announced that he was going to make health care a, a big, uh, a main part of his new program. I wrote a letter to Health and Human Services about small businesses and how it's, health care is important on the one hand, I mean, you want to keep people, you want to keep them healthy. And, and you want to, uh, you, you want people to stay with you. You want them long term, but it's it's just killing. And I knew so many small businesses that had dropped insurance just and hated it. And so I wrote this letter, um, and I got contacted by uh, our state uh, congressman, uh, Representative Blumenauer, um, and also our state senator. Um, and to ask questions about what you know, what would be important, what provisions, how how can we make, how can we integrate small businesses into whatever this is going to be? Um, the Main Street Alliance made it possible for me to, uh, and a couple of other small business owners, to take several trips to Washington D.C. to meet with our congressional delegation back there and with people who were forming this. And so over the that year or so from January 09 until March of 2010 or so, there were in Oregon and about 15 other states where Main Street Alliance is, is, uh, has a big presence, we put a lot of effort into the small business aspects of that Affordable Care Act. What came out of that was uh, we got a $12,900 tax credit through the, that's part of the Affordable Care Act. For oh, okay. those who, if you're under 25 employees, if you, you know, it, there's, there, you have to qualify in, in different ways based on how much you spend and how many employees and all that sort of thing. That, the, the other thing that happened is the next two, well, 2011, 2012, our premiums went down 3% a year. So, by that time, we were paying what we had been paying in 2007. Wow. I mean, it made, huh. it made a big difference. And so my feeling, and then, of course, it was all threatened by they're going to blow the whole thing up and put us back on this trajectory of, you know, hand it all back to the insurance companies and we'll, nobody will have insurance. Right. Certainly not. And people will just be cast out on their own. Right. And, and let's be and clear, so the reason that your, your premiums went down is because there was that provision in the initial part of the law that they had to spend a certain percentage of, of the premiums on actual health care. Yes, And not 80%. just going to profits. Yeah, 80% at this level. And some, and some I forget all, but, but at small business level, 80%. So uh, actually a lot of, uh, there were a lot of rebates handed out <laughs> that year 
from insurance companies that had that hadn't met that uh, provision. And so that was pretty much what prompted me to get involved was that I saw on the one hand a potential to actually get some control of the costs. I mean, if all prices go up, but these prices were way beyond anything that we could make room for. And so I don't think it has to necessarily start dropping dramatically, but it can't keep going up like that. So I saw that there was an opportunity to make some change. And then for political purposes, it was all had the challenge of being blown up. Um, and so, and actually, uh, I got invited by the First Lady uh, to the State of the Union in January 2011. Oh, that's right. I saw a video and, of you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And was recognized by the president for covering our employees and uh, providing health insurance and for uh, getting the credit which we hadn't calculated yet. Uh, at that time, it looked like it was going to be about $5,000. It turned out to be twice that. So, well, um, yeah. So it's been a good, that, that's that been a good thing. And how has it affected your business? I mean, have, people, have you found people responding, coming to you because of that at all or shying away from you because of that at all? Or um, We have a lot of customers who acknowledge it, who say, I saw this. I'm, I'm really glad I'm your customer. I, I knew I made a good decision. Um, we've had some people who definitely uh, have said, uh, I'm, and we had the sweetest uh, two sisters who have two different cars. Their mother is in a uh, uh, senior center. Uh, she's now actually in um, hospice, but the place where she lives, the uh, staff there don't have health insurance. They don't have health coverage. Wow. And and that upsets our these two sisters. So they came to us because we're involved in that, and also because they have been working with the the staff people to try to get them into the into the new in, uh, health insurance, the Affordable Care Act program, so that they can get health coverage. Because they've done such, they've been so wonderful to their mother. To, to our customer's mother, that they've been trying to give back by trying to get them health coverage. And so they wanted to come here because I, I've been involved in that. I mean, so I just get all these stories. People come in and tell me their healthcare stories. Um, you know, the, the, they thought they had insurance and they found out they didn't. One young woman had a, a brain tumor that turned out to not be cancerous, but she didn't have enough money even to cover all the testing, let alone the in, in her insurance policy, she thought she had coverage, but it turns out it maxed out at way less than what it was going to cost if they were going to go in and take this out. Wow. I mean, people tell me all their medical stories <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of these things that, that are going to be all covered now. Uh, they'll be able to afford the coverage. They'll have complete coverage, not just partial coverage, things like that. So you didn't go into this necessarily with a political uh, aim in mind. You went in there just because, hey, I need to figure out what I can do about my health insurance costs, and the government really should help us with as yes. small business people to keep that down. Yeah, because there was nothing, there was no way, other way that I was going to be able to control this. I mean, if I said to my staff, okay, you guys, you're going to have to pay, you're going to have to start paying this, I mean, that's a pay cut. And it and I've gone to all this trouble to to create uh, loyalty, and then to to do that compromises our whole our whole vision, our whole plan. Right. Uh, and and so it may have come to that. You know, if if this hadn't come along, we were faced with some dramatic uh, ch uh, challenges. But as it should turn out, it was the perfect time uh, for the Affordable Care Act to step in and actually start putting some controls on these costs. So it, it couldn't have come at a better time. Terrific. Um, well, let me, let me ask you, let me get, transition into a different subject here just real quick. Yes. Um, so where you're, when you first started in business, going back to that and you've envisioned what you were gonna do, did you envision your business to be about where it is now or did you have, uh, did you have uh, plans on world domination? <laughs> That's interesting. We, I don't know that we thought we would stay in this location because it 
at the, like I said, at the time it wasn't a, such a nice neighborhood. It actually has become a really thriving uh, commercial uh, neighborhood. The, the houses have all improved. The, uh, a lot of them are owner occupied. There's new. There were condos. Now there are apartments. We have one of the best local grocery chains has just built two blocks away called New Seasons. I don't know if you're familiar, but they're. I mean, they really are really one of the best. Um, this is a very nice, a little boutique-y but neighborhood, but the, the whole uh, commercial district here, shopping district, has gotten very, very nice. What we have run into is that we've run into the limits of the building. We can't do anything more, and we're in a, at the edge of a residential neighborhood, and even if we wanted to, we can't knock down houses and expand. Right. Um, what we had thought about earlier was opening a second store in uh, in one of the suburban areas, the growing suburban areas. Um, but because Liz and I are, are pretty much hands-on, that would mean one of us at one store, one at the other store. That, you know, our kids are now in their 20s, so we don't have to worry about that. But we, I don't know, we just like working together. What we have done is uh, we're now open every other Saturday. We've done that as a way of expanding because we hate turning people away. Um, we've limited the cars we'll work on. We don't work on anything before 1990. We don't work, there's some cars we don't work on, mostly the exotics, BMW, Mercedes, Porsche. Different ways of, I mean, there's lots of ways to limit your your work, you could raise your prices, right. and that 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 limits who's going to come in. You can just pick a certain make of car, for example, or uh, and we didn't want to do that. But there's nothing nothing worse than having somebody call, especially a good customer, with a crisis, and you you have to say, well, it's going to be a couple days before we can look at it. Wow. Um, we do keep some cushion in the scheduling for good customers, but even first-time customers, you want to be able to say, yes, bring it right in. Right, right, We'd like right, to get right. to know you, you know, and, and that's hard. Yeah. So that, but I think, especially at our age now, what we are talking about doing because of our age, I'm 67, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this for that much longer. Um, we're talking about actually going back to the beginning and creating a, uh, a workers' cooperative among our staff, having the staff um, uh, employee stock option is what they do with larger companies, mm -hmm. but in companies this size, where the employees form an organization and they buy out the buy us out. We would continue to work here for a certain period of time as members of the co-op, um, but that's we're not thinking of expanding now and. And, and this this neighborhood's really gotten really nice, and um, we're we're doing just fine. So it sounds like you have it where you want just, it, and you yeah. you probably have an opportunity to expand if you wanted to, but it would change yes. the nature of your business. Yeah, it would. So it's interesting, you know. There's uh, you know everybody thinks in terms of grow, 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 but sometimes yeah. you know you get it where you want it, and that's that's fine, right? Yeah, yeah. We paid off the business. We don't owe anybody anything. The, Paid off the building. We own our own building. That was huge. That, yeah. Now, t yeah. You, maybe we talk about that just a little bit. How did you wind up owning your own building? I mean, that's a huge well, thing for a small business to do. And actually, it was even bigger because okay, so when we bought the business in '83, 1985, Congress changed the um, uh, tax structure for um, what's it called when you sell the capital something. gains. Capital gains changed capital gains. Our landlord was super motivated because if he waited until January 1st, 1986, he was going to have a big hit. So he came to us. We'd already had a price was built into the lease option. He wanted to negotiate. And I'll tell you, on December 30th, 1985, we're sitting at the title transfer place with our landlord, our attorney, his attorney, and our attorney is saying, well, you know, I think we're going to have to get a little bit better. <laughs> and it was it was kind of funny, but he did fine because he'd owned it for years. That's how we owned it. But what we discovered when we bought it, 
when we moved in here, we had the building. There was a parking lot next door that was part of the property, but we, the landlord was leasing that to someone else, oh. and a, uh, also a little part of the building in the back to a tow company. We now had the opportunity to expand in the parking lot and into the back. What we discovered was that the landlord had been dumping oil on the parking lot for years and years and covered over with gravel before we moved in here. So we suddenly had what turned out to be about an $80,000 in 1980, mid-80s dollars, 1986 dollars, $80,000 soil remediation project that we had to deal with. We had to dig up 16 feet down in the parking lot and take all the oily soil out. Wow. Now, fortunately, the landlord, the former owner, had insurance from way back that didn't include environmental exclusions. Otherwise, we'd have had to sue him, and, and he didn't have anything except the property. Right. Um, and so through one thing and another, it didn't cost us a full $80,000, but it was a lot of money. Right. But but it also gave us certain leverage over him in terms of um, our um, the conditions of payment and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and but so we were really really lucky again in that area to get to get the building right and right. the and the parking lot. Um, so we've done all we have solar panels on the roof. Eighty percent of the roof it generates about. 35% of our electrical usage, and on the weekend we sell it back to the uh, electric utility. We've been able to do a lot of things here because we own the building. Yeah, that's great. And as your neighborhood has gotten better, it didn't force you to yes. find another place. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And so we've been able, we've remodeled a couple of times. Really nice parking lot. Mur had a mural uh, on the side of the building facing the parking lot that uh, everybody likes. Yeah, that's a part of your website. I, I, I yes, think. right, right on the homepage. I was wondering yeah. what, what that was there, you know. Share the Road is the title of it. Uh, one of the, somebody who came to paint the building, just paint it because it needed to be painted, was a muralist <laughs> and also a bicycle advocate. And she got, she brought over a friend of hers who was actually a designer of murals and they actually got a lot of the funding through the city, through uh, bicycle organizations. We contributed some. They used uh, a lot of high school students uh, in the art class at uh, one of the high schools because their art teacher was a bicycle enthusiast. So they had um, scaffolding all set up, and each then they gridded the thing, and each student had their grid to you know draw in. They did it over a summer and about five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. So it sounds like you're very involved in your local community as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is probably key, especially as a one-shop one kind of a... Yes, yeah, yeah. It, that's the thing. Small businesses are really different than the big conglomerates. I mean, we're invested in, in this neighborhood. We don't... I mean, it's better than Yelp for, in some ways for, for uh, neighborhood uh, members of the neighborhood because if we do something wrong, we don't treat somebody right. They're going to know about it faster than Yelp can get out, you know. Right. So we have to stay right, right on top yep. of. Before there was Yelp, there was still a reputation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so in, you know, in, in in finishing up, what what if if you know for for small business owners. Uh, you know, if if you can take something from all the thirty years that you've been in business, what what are some of the things that bits of advice that you would give people to look out for or, you know, think about? Um, first, of course, take care of your customers. You you really have to cherish your customers. It costs so much to get so much more to get a new customer than to keep an existing customer to keep them happy, you know, keep them coming back. So focus on that. What are their interests? What and, and they change over time. People's expectations change. So you have to thus the Saturday hours, for example, that we never did before. Um, and the second is is think of your staff in the same way. That un unless you want to invest in turnover, invest in your staff. 
you know, what's important to them? What what's going to keep them as part of your team? They're going to know your customers. They're going to know your values. They're going to know your systems. So that if you're if you want to go to Washington D.C. for the week, <laughs> you you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to have the phone at your ear telling people what to do. They know everything to do. They know they have carte blanche. They they're in charge. Um, and then look for opportunities that other people in your field are maybe not are going to ignore or are going to shy away from. Um, you can't always know, um, but you know things like hybrids that. Under the circumstances, limited resources and all of that, and and we're fortunate with Toyota that has sound engineering practices that took on the thing. But Toyota and, and Honda, very solid companies, so you don't have to worry about jumping into that only to have it blow up on you later because you know they, they didn't do a good job. Right. Um, so those are the things I think of. Okay. Well, great. I mean, yeah. it's uh, been very interesting to hear your story and, and your path uh, in, in business. And yes. uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Yes, well, I really appreciate the call. I, I think, you know, there's so many small businesses. 95% I read of, of businesses in this country have fewer than 50 employees. Right. And, and so that's, I mean, that's kind of the foundation of commerce in this country is small businesses and their relationships to their communities and and you can either really make that right and and you gain and the community gains or you can mess it up right. you know you cheat people cheat your customers and they get a sour opinion and uh, and you don't thrive right right well that, thanks thanks for uh, doing it right you know and uh and being an example, I think it's a you, you set a good example for people in business. So I appreciate your. Thank you. Your we we try to do that. We put a lot of thought into that. <laughs>